Hey everybody, you're listening to the Hope in Crisis podcast, where Tim Costello brings you intimate conversations with his inspiring friends from around the world during this difficult time of coronavirus. Our desire is that you would be filled with hope through these conversations to remain faithful and resilient during these unprecedented times. On this episode, Tim speaks to Dr. Ian Ma. Ian is an infectious disease physician and microbiologist who was working in Timor-Leste when COVID-19 struck. Well, it's a delight to have Dr. Ian Ma on the podcast uh, for this week. Ian's an infectious disease physician and a microbiologist, and uh, he's currently working with the Menzies School of Health Research. His passion has been working with vulnerable communities uh, around the issues of health, uh, from West Africa, where he worked with his wife and uh, saw the absence of diagnostic diagnostic testing in the developing world, to then moving his family to Timor-Leste in August last year. And there he was uh, working uh, when COVID struck and he had to come back to Perth. But that hasn't stopped his uh, contact and work with Timor-Leste, where he's coordinating with laboratories over there that are doing testing of COVID-19. Ian, welcome to uh, the Hoping Crisis podcast. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, exciting to be a part of it. Thanks. So a little bit of uh, personal background. You were telling me before we started that uh, you're a boy born in Orange who uh, uh, have did your medical training in Townsville and um, chased a girl over to Perth who's now your wife, uh, so um, you've lived in various parts of Australia as well, as well as around the world. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I think probably my greatest success is actually capturing that girl and marrying her. But um, yeah, no, we, we've we've moved around quite a bit uh, recently. Um, uh, the training regime for for my specialty has meant that um, we have moved for a number of different locations. I grew up in Orange and then went off to towns, like you said. Um, did med school there for six years before sort of commencing specialty training um, in infectious diseases and microbiology. And that's um, been another, so I guess, long time, nine years of different training programs in different cities and um, to be able to get to the point where uh, I guess you can call yourself a specialist. So we've we've lived in different cities and worked in different places, but we're lucky enough actually um, before COVID hit for six months to be working in Timor-Leste uh, in a project there, which is building capacity in the, the laboratories, um, the diagnostic ability of the doctors and sort of liaising and sort of making an infectious disease service within their national hospital. Are there similarities in developing countries between West Africa and Timor-Leste, a long way apart, but in terms of challenges they face, what are the similarities? Um, certainly there are. Uh, I, we worked in the Gambia uh, for six months um, uh, shortly after we were married and that's where I sort of gained my passion uh, really for developing world diagnostics. Um, many of the, the countries that are sort of lower on the list um, socioeconomically, lower middle income countries, struggle in terms of uh, health system um, and one of the major reasons that they're struggling with health systems um, beneath that is an inability to diagnose uh, what's going on. Um, diagnostics uh, for healthcare, I feel, is fairly underappreciated and it's sort of coming to the fore now with COVID. Um, and so working in Gambia, um, 
we saw that there was this sort of regime of don't know what it is, we'll grab treatment A, we'll throw it at them, that didn't work, we'll grab treatment B, we'll throw that at them, that didn't work, we'll go through until you, you find a treatment that works, um, which, you know, is, is not good medicine, uh, especially when you're dealing with, you know, 80 to 90% of things that are presenting to a hospital as infectious diseases uh, that are tricky often to diagnose without diagnostics. Um, so we went into that, well, I went into that field to, to specialise in that, thinking that uh, this is something that needs to be improved upon. Um, and saw it not just in the Gambia, saw it throughout a lot of uh, countries in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, saw it in Kenya where we worked as well, uh, and similarly in Timor. Um, it's no surprise it's a problem there too. Um, part of the reason for the inability to get these services up is they're complex and expensive, um, and the I guess the investments uh, in those countries haven't, haven't sort of uh, progressed forward enough to be able to do it. Um, so, yeah, similar similarities in terms of diagnostics, um, uh, many similarities in terms of uh, access to healthcare systems uh, and many similarities, I guess, in terms of um, uh, the equity of, of healthcare and, and access to, to all people in a free healthcare, whilst, you know, it may be free, is not of a certain standard that actually uh, can help uh, that particular person. So rather than just throwing different... Uh medicines that a person presenting a, a diagnostic laboratory actually lets you precisely target what's going on with the the bacteria or virus is that how it works yeah totally yeah so um i mean physicians when you see someone and they may say look well you have a fever and i have a cough and you know you, you start to think well maybe that's pneumonia but there are a long list of different causes of pneumonia that need different treatments and that's why you do uh, i guess medical school to try and figure out uh, what those treatments or the necessary treatments would be um, without the help of diagnostics oftentimes there's no way of, of guessing uh, you can sort of say well the most common one is a, so we'll start with that. And the next one, common one is B. But um, without the diagnostics, you really are left in the dark. Um, and this is true also of COVID. Um, so this is what uh, I guess we've seen um, that's it's come out in a lot of these countries that people will present uh, with fever, uh, but there's lots of malaria. Uh, they'll present with fever, but there's lots of tuberculosis. There's fever, uh, but you know it, it could be something else that you're just missing. Um, without the ability to say this is what it is, um, doing that sort of quarantine and then contact tracing um, is very, very challenging. And in the long run, the cost of setting up a diagnostic laboratory pays itself off tenfold or a hundredfold. You're not just uh, throwing whatever medicines you've got. Yeah, totally. But it's an investment and it's a very expensive investment to start off with. Um, uh, and some of the fruits of those labours probably aren't uh, completely understood um, all the way through healthcare systems, I don't think. Uh, because if you can get the right diagnosis the first time, then those patients don't come back again. Um, but yeah, those, those numbers aren't tracked often, that data isn't often collected. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's been sort of an underappreciated um, aspect of of lower middle income healthcare uh, access um, and something that Australia we're very blessed to have. I mean, we have have the ability. I think in Victoria at the moment they're pulling out you know thirty thousand COVID tests uh, a day. It's it's crazy. Um, you know the, the sort of numbers that they can push through and the sort of uh, things that Australia is able to pull off um, is is quite astronomical. I mean, the states similarly they they're doing such massive numbers uh, for things that that aren't easy uh, generally um, aren't easy to do. So let's go to Timor-Leste. It's um, a, a still a very new nation, still 
coping with, uh, I guess, post-civil conflict trauma. Um, one of our nearest neighbours, uh, I've been reading that with COVID-19 and the loss of uh, trade and uh, resources that uh, whether it's East Timor, PNG, Solomon Islands, we could see sub-Saharan African levels of poverty in our nearest neighbours just because of the economic devastation. But what are you seeing in, in, in East Timor? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Um, uh, so I guess COVID generally, as we think of it right now, is, you know, the devastation of uh, what it can do, you know, the, the mortality that it can bring and the people that need to be intubated and the horrendous sort of scenes that we do see in ICUs around the world. But similarly, locking down a country um, has very painful outcomes. So Timor at the moment has about 30 cases, uh, or just under 30 cases of uh, of COVID that they have found. They haven't found, well, we haven't found uh, any and continue testing now uh, for some time. And that's mainly because they locked down very hard and um, went into a state of emergency. So they locked down all their borders, uh, their land border with Indonesia, as well as planes and ships and those sorts of things were really locked down hard. And they went out after it aggressively. Uh, but this COVID thing has a long tail. Um, and to be able to continue to do that um, whilst uh, you are a country that have 1.2 million people with 300,000 people malnourished and you don't produce that much food, uh, you can only do it for a shortened period of time before things start to, to start to strain in other aspects. Um, and we're seeing uh, now that, you know, pharmacies in town are running very low on all sorts of stock, that the hospital is paying upwards of eight, 10 times the cost for regular medicines uh, that they were, um, that they're challenged to try and get access to the drugs that they need to get. Um, and, you know, things are slowly, slowly declining in, in many, many aspects. So you can see that, you know, whilst COVID isn't such a problem right now, um, that the outcome of what I guess COVID uh, requires is going to cause um, pain and, and disharmony amongst their, their members. Yeah, one of the... Uh things not on our radar because we just look at the infection rates uh, and the death rates country to country and we go, oh, well, at least Timor-Leste in the uh, Pacific seem okay, low numbers. What's mm. not on our radar is that the lockdown and the knock-on effects from lockdown are causing such profound economic hardship in already very, very poor countries. And uh, that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely true, Tim. It's it's um, it's it's a complex interplay though because they don't have. Uh, we've been able to get up the diagnostics. Menzies have been able to get up the testing there, um, and you know we're at three and a half thousand tests now. But they don't have the capability to be able to screen and open up their borders entirely, uh, and so uh, their only real asset is um, to be able to shut down, to lock borders, um, pull out the army, stop movement. You know that sort of uh, attack, and and that has you know ramifications um, long term so yeah it's a very sticky situation um, and how you deal with this is very very hard on a personal side Ian what takes an Australian who could be commanding good uh, medical fees and uh, professional life in Australia to go to West Africa to Kenya to Timor-Leste why why do you do it um, oh, it's a fairly easy answer for me, and that, I guess that's um, it's Christ. I mean, he he has put me in this position. I never wanted to be a doctor. Um, growing up in Orange, I had many different ideas about who I wanted to be and what I was going to become. Um, 
but I feel very strongly that God's uh, led me into this path and put his hand on me to bless me into the position that I am right now and I'd like to be able to use that to bring glory and honour to him and I can see that there's a gap, a massive gap and I'd like to be able to help in that space. I um, I ended up in medicine simply because when I was 18 I, was, um, I went through a bit of a, a, a tough time and uh, ended up in hospital, had some uh, a diagnosis of lymphoma, had chemotherapy, radiotherapy, relapsed stem cell transplants. It's about a year in hospital all up. Uh, and I saw then um, that, you know, um, medicine was something that God was placing on my heart. And so I, I reapplied and got my marks up high enough and, and applied and got into med school eventually. And um, the path, I guess, into my specialty even was was mired by the fact that I was offered a place in neurology, brain sort of uh, specialty, but um, the letter never came through, so I ended up into infectious disease. I think <laughs> I think um, God's firmly had his hand really um, directing me in this way. And uh, I see the work that I'm able to do, um, not as monetary gain, but... Um, something that uh, God has enabled me and blessed me to be able to do and, um, you know, enables me to help other people, which is I just feel, you know, truly lucky enough to be able to do that and to some of the things that we're able to do even in Timor still now, um, I feel really, really blessed. I think you uh, said your greatest success was uh, convincing that girl to marry you. Um, I'm often struck that wives marry someone who they think is going to go in one direction and uh, then are dragged all over the world to um, really tough places. Uh, how how yeah. has she bought into this vision? Yeah, so um, probably if I'd laid it all out in front of her when I was uh, trying to win her, um, I'm not quite sure I would have been so successful. Um, but, I mean, it's an adventure and she truly bands together now with that adventure and she's been a, a tremendous support like she's a she's a dietitian herself um and so in many of these countries we go into she's uh, uh, she's brought just as much benefit i think as as i have been able to um and but she she truly stands by me and, and supports me through all of these things and i guess together through our christian faith um bringing up kids in this sort of environment we see uh see it more than uh, i guess monetary gain or whatever it is um you know there's there's true value in it and true sort of uh, you know, Christian building experience in sort of all these experiences that we're travelling through. Yeah, the true value really interests me. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, you must be sacrificing a lot and it must be awful and it must be tough. But my guess is you've been enriched uh, being in these places. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's totally true. Um, yeah, I think uh, I probably don't explain that enough, even to my friends and my, my social groups, that, you know, I feel truly blessed that we'd be able to, to do this and to help others. But at the same time, very selfishly, we get to see how blessed we are and, uh, you know, working in a place like Timor where there are people that, you know, 16 people to a house with bamboo roof and dirt floors and, and you truly appreciate you truly do deep down appreciate everything that God has given you um, and the health, uh, the amazing countries that we live in, um, you know, everything, all the access that we can have. Um, and it actually changes you deep down because you realise, you know, what God has done for you. Uh, and it, it takes a bit away of that fear, I guess. You know, in Australia at the moment, there seems to be a bit of a an echo chamber of, you know, uh, we're all losing stuff, we're all going backwards, we're going to, you know, um, tank the economy. And and I think having the experience uh, that God's given us um, gives you a true perspective um, on what's important, what's not important, um, 
and see and you can see you know what what you still have in front of you right in front of you in terms of the impact on your kids there'd be uh, australians maybe listening to this saying it's fine for you to make a life choice but what about your kids how does it affect them oh i think uh, i think ads truly ads um yeah i mean the kids still uh now we've been back for a little over a month and the kids are still talking about timor and how great it was and you know the experience that they've had and um giving them some introspection as well of to what's important um i think it's it's truly added it's there's no sub- subtraction from this i mean we're not we're not subjecting them in any way. Um, they get a full education. They get to see uh, perspective, I think, true perspective, um, and yeah, get to see how the other half live. And uh, when they come back to Australia, I think that perspective uh, produces very well-rounded kids. <laughs> it, it gives them a yeah. Yeah, no, it totally does um, and sort of gets them out of that materialistic mindset as well, I think, which is great, great for them. No, it, it really is a, a true blessing um, in so many ways. It's probably not explained uh, well enough, um, you know, when you do get to do this sort of work that you do get you know, true perspective, I think. Yeah, no, the, the great anxiety for parents is always, am I doing the best for my kids? And we often uh, make assumptions about... Uh, the size of the house or the school or the safety of the neighbourhood. Uh, well, you've gone to uh, pretty uh, interesting neighbourhoods globally, but its impact on your kids has been has been good. Yeah, totally. No, no there's, there's really good advantages to doing this sort of thing um, and just to create balanced uh, sort of children that understand, like I say, um, the have-nots. Um, you know, our kids were playing with kids that, that didn't have anything and, and to show them show them that in real life. Um, you know, they were playing on the beach, they had some friends next door, you know, all of this sort of stuff. These kids um, just did not have and, and my two children were able to experience that firsthand and share with them and love the others around them and, uh, and truly understand what it is uh, to, to give to those that have less. So this uh, theme of the podcast is Hoping Crisis. So the particular people or stories you can tell us from your work where you've seen hope uh, in what are very fragile health systems um, and poverty. Yeah, similarly, I guess um, just talking about getting that perspective, we, we've worked in a number of different places now and it's quite, I guess it's funny in a way because you go there and there aren't, uh, the material assets, there aren't the healthcare systems, there aren't, um, you know, the swathes of uh, doctors um, that, you know, help people um, and, you know, you step into a position where there, there isn't much. Um, but to see the people that are there at that point in time, they, they do have a hope um, and a lot of these, these countries have a hope in Christ um, and they truly do, um, in their deepest roots, know God uh, and they know um, the hope that is on the other side, that this, this, this earth, this world is not forever and that God is uh, going to see them through this uh, and they truly know that. Um, and it's quite funny, you know, you, you think in many ways, oh, we'll go and help uh, and then you see these people that are just emboldened with hope that have such an understanding of God's love that uh, understand truly what it is to have nothing but God uh, by their side and to walk with God. Um, and so, you know, the hope that I see often comes from those 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 glimmers where you just don't expect it. Um, you know, I deal in team with some of the sickest of the sick in the hospital, um, true sepsis, and to watch the families band around and to 
pray in earnest for these patients and to know that uh, when they do pass on eventually that they are going to heaven. You know, you can see it in their eyes that they know truly deep down in their soul. And so that sort of hope um, gives you hope um, because sometimes I think we can forget even in the medical profession, we can forget what it's all about um, and you can forget, you know, that this, this world is just a glimmer, it's just a flicker and then eternity's on the other side. Well, Ian, uh, to you and your wife and the family, on behalf of all who will listen to this podcast, thank you for what you do. Thank you for that message that you you go to help others and you are helped. <laughs> in, uh, yeah. in giving away, you gain. Uh, that's what I'm hearing yeah. from what you've said, Ian. Yeah, it truly is. Thank you and uh, God bless you and the work you continue to do. Thanks very much, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Hope in Crisis. We're a new podcast, so we would really appreciate it if you would share this with your friends and leave us a rating and review whilst making sure you're subscribed to receive our future episodes. That would be great. Be blessed and we'll be back soon with our next inspiring conversation. Brought to you by the Eternity Podcast Network.